Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona podcast. Once again, I'm Mesut Kwonga with Ryan Hun. Michael De Silva is indisposed, which is not really a problem in this case because we're here to discuss two London sides which are not Tottenham Hotspur. I bet he would have liked to have been there though. I think he would. I think Michael would like to be here uh, because Arsenal played Chelsea in the Europa League final and despite the somewhat grim surroundings of the game, quite an entertaining match. Chelsea with a 4-1 win. Sarri's first major trophy as a manager. Yes, and that is the end of the podcast, everyone. Thanks I'm so sorry. No, right. I'm sorry. I, no, no, actually, right. Let's talk about Chelsea. Let's talk about the first half, maybe, because the first half was interesting. If you consider that Scotland ended the way it did, surprisingly even contest, I think. Well, actually, I think Arsenal's tactics in the first half were pretty spot on. I actually liked, can I say this quickly? I really liked the tactical setup of both teams. Yeah, I didn't think it was a great game the first half. It was engaging, definitely engaging. Was yeah, I mean, obviously Chelsea's main threat, you'd say, was Eden Hazard. He was pretty quiet in the first half and I think also Arsenal shut down Jorginho pretty well. And yeah, tactically, I think Arsenal were pretty good first half. And apart from those last couple of chances that Chelsea had towards half time, it was pretty comfortable. I think the first 20 minutes or so, it seemed like most of the game was played in Chelsea's half. But Arsenal have really been carried a lot of the season by Lacazette and Aubameyang. And Mm. those two were relatively quiet by their standards. A quick statement in defence of Aubameyang and Lacazette, because I've seen tweets criticising Aubameyang in particular, saying he's not an elite forward. He's been even found out in the final. And this is a guy that scored a brilliant hat-trick in the semi against Valencia. So let's let's just rewind on that. Let's just sort of... Yeah, no, I'm not into that. Yeah, I think the problem with the tactical setup is whenever you play with a front three, a 10 connecting a two, you have a kind of problem where you've got a bottleneck effect because whoever closes down the 10 is then closing out the two strikers. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's why a lot of teams don't play with conventional front two. They play with wide forwards because then wide forwards are always in the game. So if you... And not criticising even Ozil, I'm saying once you close out the 10 and it's very difficult to remain mobile as a 10 in any formation like that, you close at the front three. And I think that's what happened to an extent to Arsenal. Yeah, I think maybe we can get onto Ozil and other players a bit later because I'd like to maybe talk about what this means for Arsenal in a way as well as Chelsea. But right. I think in terms of the game itself, you know, like you say, it was pretty balanced first half. There wasn't really much in it. I thought the game in se- itself was weird. It just had a really weird vibe to it that first half, which is obviously down to the fact that there was less than 10,000 travelling supporters, which doesn't mean there was only 10,000 fans of both teams there, but 10,000 travelling supporters. And it just had a really weird feel, almost like it felt like one of those International Champions Cup games pre-season somewhere and just really seemed to lack the intensity of a European final. Being an Arsenal fan watching it, I wasn't particularly nervous or tense about it for some reason. And I think that's because it just didn't really feel like that much of an occasion. Does that make sense? That feels a little bit... It does make sense. That, I think but... actually, in a dangerous way, I think this was a taste of the future because UEFA took a big gamble with this game in Azerbaijan. Mm. 
we've had football matches in controversial environments before. 1978 World Cup had an entire tournament going on when there was, you know, dictatorship just down the road. We've had African Nations Cups in Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. I think the reason why this feels different is because you had an individual player directly at risk. You had a player so directly at risk that police were checking fans for shirts with his name on them before the game. Yeah. I mean, this is another level. And the fact that UEFA allowed that to happen, I think, crossed the line. This is why it feels strange to me because it was almost like this was like a sort of, not a turning point, but it was like a um, UEFA crossed the boundary. Yeah, I mean, when you have a player that is unable to travel to a European final for reasons outside of football, that is purely down to their decision, like where to play the final, then something's gone massively wrong. And I have to say this as well. I just wonder, I don't know what amount of money went into the organisation of this game. I don't know what kind of money, what sums were riding on it. But the fact that UEFA decided in the cold light of day, it's worth that. That gives me such grave concern. I think that contributed to it. I mean, there was other things going on. There was like this huge distance between the pitch and the, the, the crowd. Almost like playing, you know, it was almost like playing like in the middle of a um, Indy 500 racetrack, wasn't it? Do you know what it was like? It was like playing a maybe Pro Evo 2004 and zooming out to the maximum that you could on the camera. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. Just, you couldn't see, you couldn't see who was, who had the ball at all. It was so weird. The whole thing was so weird. Like the weird opening ceremony, which just lacked any kind of vibe. Terrible DJ. Just, it just felt... <sighs> It didn't feel like a final, let alone a European final. You know, like, final. it's more like the Hunger Games. You know, like these, this massive amphitheatre and a tiny sort of like plinth in the middle where they all perform. Mm. I hate to say it, but this is almost like a taste of the future. We're going to have football tournaments in countries now with like egregious human rights records. I mean, this is a dress rehearsal for Qatar already, isn't but it? But I also wonder if actually the pushback and the bad press that UEFA have copped from this, although I think it should have been far stronger. I mean, right. personally, I would have... 100% backed either club boycotting the final, which right. was never going to happen no, really. No. But what a statement that would have sent. Isn't it sad yeah. how we're like, it's guaranteed the team wouldn't have boycotted. If that, like I said, if this had been Leo Messi, they would have moved the final. Yeah, it would have been, they would have, yeah, they of course they would, yeah. because Mkhitaryan is not making that kind of money for Arsenal. I mean, the absurdity of Arsenal and Chelsea players training midweek with bibs that had hashtag equal game on it. It's just bizarre. Unbelievable. I mean, I am fully for growing the game to use FIFA's right. terms or UEFA's terms or whatever it is. And I don't think that, you know, football finals should be exclusively at Wembley or Paris or, or anywhere like that. But there was too many red flags on this and it just yeah. shouldn't have happened. But anyway, we've kind of not even really discussed the actual final. So well, I've we've just discussed the first half. The second half is where things fell apart. Yeah, Olivier Giroud. What a great goal. One of actually. the most criminally underrated footballers. In the world. 11 goals and five assists in the Europa League. He's brilliant. Outstanding. But those he's, are Falcao numbers. That's peak Falcao numbers. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's one of, there's not a lot of players that could have done that finish. And that's where Giroud is really unique, I think, as a striker. I feel sorry for the guy a little bit, Olivier Giroud. And that's not a patronising thing or anything. I just think that he's, he hasn't really underperformed at Arsenal or Chelsea, yet it seems to have been that his entire Premier League career so far has been dominated by almost like a narrative that the, each club wants to upgrade on him. Yeah, right. The players that he's kept out of the France squad, is he third all-time France scorer now at international level f for the men's team? And the France that didn't get going until he was in it. He's just a brilliant striker and a really unique striker, I think, in, in 
in the modern game, you know, especially with the focus on wide forwards. He's Peter Crouch with a better touch, more strength and more mobility. And a better face. Yeah, I mean, who has got a better face than Giroud, let's be that honest. That face. I mean, goodness. <sighs> Launch a thousand ships, wouldn't it? Oh. Um, but Giroud, yeah. Maybe that's why they, they had to pan the camera so far away because it was oh. couldn't get too close to that the beauty <laughs> he's a very beautiful man Jiru. some some men have all the luck um the thing i love about Jiru is his ability to bring wide players into the game mm. which is why he works so well with hazard and i think hazard really benefits from that you know like we said this before about Giroud going to a club like rail or barca he could really add something to them do you know who would have really done with him as well as a club like dortmund last year and there was talks about him potentially being involved in that deal to go to Dortmund for Aubameyang but I don't think he wanted to move Giroud had gone to Dortmund at Christmas they could have won the league oh. really they could have they really because they needed that focal point yeah. in the attack you're playing three wide forwards in the front line it's not going to be it's not the one um, but yeah so Giroud scores a fantastic header yeah I think uh, Koscielny probably should have done a little bit better and that's a little bit harsh but, but this is a player that Lauren Koscielny knows extremely well exactly and if you were going to put a defender on him in that scenario, he's the guy you would have put on him. But that said, that kind of maybe shows just how good Olivier Giroud is, that even someone who knows him so well has played with him for years at international level and club level still can't really deal I mean, with him. A scenario. finish like that is very difficult to keep out. Well, I saw a great tweet. I can't remember who wrote it, so I apologise, but I just saw someone saying Mkhitaryan would have saved that. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of good Twitter action. I Do say. you know what? The one comforting thing after the game or you know, during the game, post-game, was that football Twitter was on form. It was really funny. It was really funny. It was funny. on better form than Arsenal were. Oh, dear. Way. Arsenal Twitter was on better form than, than, Arsenal. than Arsenal. Well, it's funny because um, obviously Hazard is Hazard and he will... If he takes control, there's not much you can do about it. Pedro again popped up with a goal. I think this is Pedro's fourth goal in a major final. Again, slightly underrated, I think. Always will be. Mm. You know, look at those players and the wide players in that team, Pedro and David Villa, will remain underrated. Yeah. I don't think you can ever rate David Villa highly enough. No. And what makes Pedro such a great player is Pedro's ability to spot attacking patterns. And he works so hard. Well, he does, but here's the thing. A lot of players work hard, but to combine with... Eden Hazard and Leo Messi at that speed, that tempo, to know what they're doing. Does that, you know, you look at like basketball, for example, and you have someone like, I don't know, like George Hill, um, or you have someone play with like, um, like, like LeBron James, like Zadrunas or Galskas, like Zadrunas or Galskas, you know, big man, play for Ka uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. A big man, but could see what LeBron was doing. And there's, there are players like Pedro, they're not as talented as, and he's obviously a brilliant player. He's not as talented as sort of, you know, the absolute top tier earlier uh, Messi, but who is. But they love these guys because they have this great combination play and also they, they're ruthless when mm. need be. I mean, that's, that's a good way to describe Chelsea, I think, in that second half was ruthless and they were super clinical. Yeah. They didn't really create a hell of a lot more clear-cut chances than Arsenal did, really. Yeah. I mean, they probably did it over the course of the game, but in that period where they really pulled ahead... They just finished them. They were just finishing a lot better. They've always had that in them, haven't they? They're a funny team. Like that. They're, they're a big game team. Chelsea. Yeah. You know, when they click, they click. And I think that as soon as that second goal went in, I think that was it. I think you just knew. And this is, I want to say credit to Chelsea because they are a club who, they have like several changes of manager. A lot of them are not very keen on Sarri. They feel like even though he's come third and he's won the Europa League, there are issues, I think, in terms of the cultural fit with Sarri at Chelsea. And I'm not, I'm not going to hear to criticise Chelsea because they've won a lot and from the outside we look at it and go oh Sarri like came third and like won a Europa League but if he's not good enough for the Chelsea fans 
not being funny, but their their record of sacking and getting in the right person is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty. But good. They know they know what they're doing. I mean, they're 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 a club that know how to sack. They're basically like they're not like a, they're not. They're, and I say this with respect. They're not like a football club so much as a. They're like McKinsey. <laughs> they know when to get rid of. You know, some clubs. A lot of clubs are too emotional. Chelsea are not that emotional like their managers. They know when to get rid of someone. And what's interesting is, despite their changes of manager, they've maintained that winning culture. Mm. And it's been so long since Mourinho was there. That it's not even really down to him anymore. It's about something else. It's about the type of player that wants to go to Chelsea and be a success. Is it they've only not won a trophy in four of the last 15 seasons? Wild. They've won two league titles in this era. Yeah. That's incredible. Like in this era, this mm. big money. Chelsea have a lot of money, but you know, for Eden Hazard to walk away with two Europa Leagues and two, two Premier leagues. leagues, that's incredible. <laughs> So yeah, so basically, I mean, when yeah, when the second goal went in, I kind of thought that was it anyway. And then obviously you had the third with Ainsley Maitland-Niles conceded the penalty, a little bit rash, but I can't, I can't really blame a, a young centre midfielder had a tough, had a tough night. Right, right back. He had a tough night. He had a tough night, but I think he was also not bad. I don't think he was that bad. I um, think he made some enterprising steps forward. And the problem is you're playing that position, you're up against... Mm. Hazard and Pedro that's a tough assignment to anyone you yeah. can't really I mean the issues that Arsenal had were not individual they were systemic yeah yeah definitely yeah. and then Alex Wobie came out scored a great volley wow that, that was, was a really great volley that was clean what, what, that was that three minutes of hope <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah Chelsea with the fourth and that was as they say that it was good night and uh, Giroud, good night, Baku. Giroud thanked Arsenal on the same bus for the that Europa was a bit, League. <laughs> that was a bit spicy, watching Giroud. I mean, I don't really care about that. Yeah, those. I mean, thank you, Arsenal. I'm not going to hate him, him for that. Not, not, not hating on him, I'm just sort of saying, like, it really does, it's a bit of a sort of look behind the veil when a, a player leaves a club where he's had good experiences, you know, good times, and maybe the circumstances of departure aren't that favourable. Well, yeah, I mean, they sold him and he's won a couple of trophies, so. Yeah, I mean, it's got to sting a little bit. It has. Should we take a quick break and then come back and talk about what this all means well uh, yeah let's and when we come back from the break um let's talk about what it means for arsenal if spurs win the champions league can we not sorry <laughs> all right we're back from the break and now we're getting on to the good stuff so what does it mean for I mean, should we do chelsea first what, what does, does it mean for chelsea? arsenal spurs win the champions league that's a that's gonna, a re- you're gonna that, make me answer that i've no, had a, i've had a no. No, that's a cool question. It's been an intense week, man. With yeah. Weddings and funerals, is like, and then the wow, Europa League. Wow, and you've then, gone there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. This could be, that's this interesting. could get a lot worse. <laughs> the emotion card. And, and joking aside, I'm interested what this means for Arsenal because it's been such a strange sort of season. Long unbeaten run. Many people felt that that was not perhaps reflective of form. There was some luck going on there. Emery seems to have done a lot of good things, but it's almost like they've ended up at square one. Well... <laughs> This is the thing that I was thinking about after the game. It's like it's just one big contradiction of a football club at the moment, Arsenal. Because if you look at each thing in isolation, if you look too much into them, you'll get a false answer, if that makes sense. To the equation. Philosoph- What's the philosophical word? There's a word for that. It's, it's, like, it's like Nietzsche, isn't it? If you stare too long into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. Yeah. And I think Arsenal, I think you look at the Arsenal season, you're like, it's very slyly an abyss. Weirdly. It's, yeah. It's, You've had the most Arsenal season ever. It's, it's the, it's it's the most weird. Arsenal season ever. It's like, you know when um, 
like sitcoms or whatever getting to the final season and they throw all the big guns in there just to roll out the greatest hits of, Game of, of narratives. Game of Thrones. Don't, because I'm still only on season two. Okay, I'm not, no spoilers, but I'm just saying Game of Thrones. Not going to lie. The people mention it in sentences alongside Sopranos and The Wire is deeply troubling to me so yeah, far. Right. And they're wrong, they're wrong. It's not close. And don't at me. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through enough. <laughs> it's so weird. It's such a weird football club. There's multiple factors to this. I think that there were a lot of players who played in that Europa League final who I don't think will play for Arsenal again. Or were involved in the squad, let's say. So obviously you've got Peter Cech. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lon Koscielny leave. I wouldn't be surprised to see Skodra Mustafi moved on if they get the offer, a right offer for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Granit Xhaka moved on if they get an offer for him. There's still no news about Nacho Monreal's contract extension, even though it was rumoured to have been signed. I think Meza Ozil is now at the point where I would be extremely surprised if he plays for Arsenal again, personally. I think the thing about Ozil, we've had this conversation probably a few times on the podcast this year, how footballers speak about other footballers really gives you insight into things that we just have no idea of. Every single footballer who's played with Meza Ozil says he's the best player they've played with, pretty much. Do you know what I mean? Bar the odd few who have probably played with Messi and stuff. So there is no doubt in this guy's ability at all. And you know how much of a Mesut Ozil fan I've been over yeah. the years. There's twice that Arsenal have signed my favourite player in the world at that time. And the first time was Mark Overmars. And the second was Mesut Ozil. It's rare that that happens, you know. That's how yeah. transformative his signing was in terms of a, a statement for Arsenal. But it goes into our thing about sometimes you need to move on your best player yeah. from a technical point of view in order to really free the collective. Van Nistelrooy was a classic example of that. Coutinho... We've spoke about it recently. Numerous, numerous examples. Tim Stillman wrote a tweet saying that he got booed so savagely when he came off more than any other player he can remember in an Arsenal shirt. Oh my goodness. The love has lost. Once you've lost that... I think it's gone too far probably now for that relationship to to be sustainable. The only question is where next for him? That is a big question because his wages are obviously going to make it extremely difficult. No to one in Germany is going to pay that. No one. There's no natural place for him. I mean, to be honest, he could go back to Real. But they're just signing Hazard. I mean, he could fit there. He could fit there. He could, actually. Ozil behind another wide forward. Vinicius, Hazard, Ozil behind Benzema. Mm. You're in trouble. And when they sign Giroud. Who wants that problem? <laughs> Who would want that problem? Who would want to face Vinicius, Ozil and Hazard? Yeah, I mean, I Benzema? think it's just a system thing. I yeah. think it's a system thing and maybe it's just, you know, that relationship isn't working. Really. Ozil back to Benabeu, you heard it here first. So. <laughs> Obviously, Aaron Ramsey's leaving. You know, Petrček's retiring. Do you know what? There's something about Alexander Lacazette, which I think, put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't playing for Arsenal next season. Really? Yeah. He's not feeling it. I don't think he's not feeling it. This isn't any blame on him at all. I just think that he's got a lot of, and rightly so, a lot of praise this season. And I think if someone like Barcelona, for example, came in, he could, he could, he could start for Barcelona. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. And I think that Quick that would be a box, really, really hard really hard conversation to convince him to stay in that scenario. I think Mkhitaryan will probably leave. Obviously, he wasn't in the squad, but, you know, someone who Arsenal has played a lot this season, obviously Danny Welbeck is leaving. There is a huge turnover potentially happening at Arsenal in terms of players. Carl Jenkinson is leaving, which is obviously the, the hardest one to replace. The official head of vibes at Arsenal, ha, ha, Carl Jenkinson. Yeah, exactly. And in the game, Unai Emery took off Mesut Ozil and brought on Joe Willock which I think was a pretty pointed substitution, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal just promoted youth next season and maybe signed two or three players in the kind of 10 to 15 million pound mark. You know, young French players or young players from Liga. I think 
There's been, well, a, Arsenal, there's been quite a few rumours about a few. And actually, in a weird way, from an Arsenal perspective, I think hitting that reset button a little bit might buy a little bit of goodwill with fans. I think Arsenal need to move quickly as well, because if Newcastle are bought by um, Abu Dhabi, you've got another huge team. If they, if the they, if they, if they the were, next. if they, if they do get that through, and I would be on the phone offering them a lot of Arsenal players. It's because they'd pay. That's because that's the thing. I think it was Seb Stafford Bloor said something really good on Twitter about that. When the first wave of when a club gets taken over like that, yeah. they just sign all the yeah, like Man City did. You know, like they, Adebayor, Clichy, yeah. Colo Torre, and that get, kind of yeah, stuff. Then and then it's like, the second wave, Robinho, yeah. <laughs> and then it's the second wave where they really start signing the big, 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 big guns. Yeah. So I would be on the phone because they would pay their Premier League club. You'd probably get your money back for someone like Mustafi in that scenario. Maybe not your money back, but at least yeah. somewhere near it. Um, because they're going to be, that Newcastle have been due investment for a long time. And that's mm. all, all Newcastle have ever needed is investment infrastructure in five years. Mm. Within five years, Newcastle are going to be dangerous. Yeah. If they get the right people in and there's no reason why they can't. They I mean, could that be, is a huge, huge football they could club. Be, they could be Amsterdam, they could be Ajax on Tyne in 10 years. I they mean, anyone be. who's not been to Newcastle, the stadium dominates the city skylines. You can see it pretty much from anywhere. It's unbelievable. It's like, you know, when you go Cathedral. to somewhere like Bratislava yeah. and you have the old kind of castles on the hill that yeah. kind of dominate the skyline. Yeah. It's very much like that. It's like, without using huge cliches, but it is like the, the city's cathedral in a way. It's the one common thing that brings all of that city together. I'm surprised that someone hasn't I'm, I'm really amazed. tried to... I'm amazed. ...to buy them sooner. I suspect that they have looked at it, but that Mike Ashley is such a, d- a difficult character to even engage mm. with. That people have been scared of. Um, and of course, there's unbelievable, you know, there's, there are severe concerns about the nature of the, yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, put it this way, I just, I'm, it's a shame that it has to be these investors because Newcastle really deserve investment. Mm. That club, that city deserve the investment and the catchment area for footballers, spectacular. Yeah. Anyway, but back to back to Arsenal. Back to Arsenal. I back mean, some, Arsenal. some blame will obviously lie at the feet of Unai Emery. He had one goal this season, that's to get Arsenal back in the Champions League. He hasn't done that. I don't think it's entirely his fault. However, I think that more than the final, I think that the final season of the uh, the final month of the Premier League season was the thing that is the still the most disappointing and upsetting from an Arsenal point of view. That week of losing at home to Palace, losing away to Wolves and losing away to Leicester. What is it, the conservatism? I think it's a mixture. I think that he obviously hasn't had enough time to get players in, I think, purely under his specifications, if you like. Yeah. I think a lot of the players that arrived last season were, had arrived before he, or were, were done before he was announced as manager. Obviously, the one player he did probably have a hand in was Denis Suarez, and that didn't work out. So I'm not sure if that's massively concerning or whether that's just uh, January's tough, I think. There was not a single Barca fan I saw on social media who was not delighted by the move of Denis Suarez. Mm to Arsenal they were delighted yeah but I also think that if you look at the players that have really come on this season under Emery Rob Holding took a huge leap forward before getting injured Hector Bellerin took a huge leap forward again before getting injured Alex Awobi made some real leaps this season after stagnating for a season or so Guendouzi was impressive although still raw yeah you know even Aisley Maitland-Niles became a real fixture obviously that was down to Hector Bellerin's injury and he's not a right back but you know he I don't think he's been disappointing really this season. So I would massively expect Arsenal to be signing in that 18 to 21 bracket 
I don't think you're going to see a 26-year-old, 27-year-old, someone at the peak coming in and players who Emery will really kind of galvanise and who are still there to, ready to be moulded. I think they're the players that seem to this season really work for Emery. Well, that seems to suggest that Emery's maybe worth another couple <clears throat> of years in the job. I mean, I actually said after the game, I said, it wouldn't surprise me if they fired him, actually. Chelsea, and I'm not saying that... I know Chelsea not, would fire him and oh, get of course they would. an Allegri. Yeah, they absolutely would. they get Allegri in. And that would be actually, I think, weirdly enough, the right step. And th this is me taking the emotion out of football and saying, if someone's got a particular assignment and the resources they have to push a team on, where are the indications they'll increase that? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you've got someone like Allegri on the market, you get him. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the answer to this, if I'm being honest, because I can look at Arsenal pretty objectively. However, I mean, following a legacy manager is really difficult and you've seen what happened with Manchester United. And that is one thing that I don't want Arsenal to get into. Higher and fire. You know, Allegri and Emery are two very different kinds of manager. So I think that if the financial restrictions that are in place are going to be there and, you know, Arsenal are going to be signing this young group of players, I would probably stick with Emery. Yeah. And also, I think what Petr Cech said after the final in his interview was really interesting, where he kind of seemed to make a really pointed remark about you know, a lot of people say this and they don't see all of the work that's going on behind the scenes by the staff and stuff like that, which I think is a really, really important, important thing to say. Because they've got Ajax, they're using the Europe, they lost the Europa League final with a very young team and a couple of years later, they're playing like that. No, Liverpool lost the Europa League final on yeah. the club. And, why, and that's again to Czech's point and to support their points. Even as Liverpool lost that final, you could see the embryonic Liverpool team they see now. There were very strong indications even in that team. And I think it's important to sort of look at, you know, for Arsenal now to be reassured by, look at the progress we've made. Mm. Don't judge us on this, judge us two years from now. Yeah, and I think that if you add into that starting eleven, Hector Bellerin, Rob Holding, defensively that looks very different. Offensively that looks very different because Hector yeah. Bellerin was integral to Arsenal's attacking play this season before he got injured. I think the problem is that Arsenal don't have the highest in kind of level of lavish spending. No, not as at all. Man City or... But there are a really good crop of youngsters coming through and yeah. I think that although, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe didn't really have a successful time at Leipzig, he was injured quite a lot. Reese Nelson had a bit of an up and down year at Hoffenheim. And you have players like Joe Willock there. They all really impress at under-23 level. What do you do? Are you going to sign players of a similar profile who may or not work out anyway? Or do you give those players who have grown up within that system or that kind of the club environment who are homegrown? Because Arsenal have also got a homegrown quota they need to fill can we as well. Also, can we also just get real for a second? Four of the top six clubs in the Premier League ended up in European finals, right? Arsenal not going to the Champions League is not that bad. Let's consider that Man City, the top club in the entire country, we're not even in a European final. That is the quality of the Premier League. So sometimes when we criticise teams not making the Champions League, maybe we should think to ourselves, maybe actually there's probably one spot too few in the chat. Given the quality of the Premier League, you could argue there's one spot too few. Well, I mean, six into four just doesn't go. Exactly. And I think that's maybe, I think that needs to be the lesson to an extent with this. It's very easy. Um, actually, there's a brilliant tweeter um, Diana Christine, who uh, writes about Barcelona um, quite a lot and is also like a fan of Liverpool when she watches English teams. And she says something like, I think the quote is pinned to her Twitter account. It says something like, yeah, modern, fo this, yeah. Yeah, modern football has a tendency to draw uh, permanent solutions from temporary problems and that leads to extremism. And I think 
it's such a great quote because we're leaping to conclusions again. Not we, but people, the football mm. world can leap to conclusions. And, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, I've got a soft spot for Emery. If I was doing a Chelsea hire and fire, I might bring in Allegri because that'd be the Chelsea style. I mean, I'd love to see Sarri go to Juve. Oh, that. Sarri go to Juve, Allegri go to Chelsea. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. On it does, because then, then Pjanic becomes Jorginho and is much more elusive. Sarri gets his mobile playmaker. And then and he's allowed to Europe. smoke in the dugout again. And tears up Europe, yeah. And he'll get like probably another championship under his belt too. I can see that happening actually. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a Especially winner. Especially with Conte not going back. Where's Conte gone to? I think he's going to go to Inter, isn't he? Conte at Inter. Spil- like, Spalletti left. I like so. that. That's spicy. Conte at Inter, I like that. So all in all, let's wrap it up. Yep. Maybe. I think that Chelsea thoroughly deserved it. Absolutely. Over the 90 minutes. Shout out for Ruben Loftus cheek. What a shame he couldn't make the final. Yeah, I mean, that, the decision to even play that, that friendly was just ludicrous to me. Oh, I mean, I know they were contractually obliged to do so, but anyone who might have been involved in that squad, I would have hooked them after five minutes. Nightmare. You know, especially on that pitch, which was dreadful. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I just need a, I need a holiday from Arsenal for a bit. I think everyone yeah. who is an Arsenal fan or has covered Arsenal this season, I think probably needs a little bit of a holiday from them as well. As a United fan, I can relate to that. You'll notice <laughs> I've barely mentioned them the last two, three weeks because what more can you say? I mean, I was going to say something really mean there. <laughs> I mean, the most painful thing, the meanest thing you could say right now would be the truth. Um, the truth is mean enough right now. I was going to say they've just... They've not been in the conversation. <laughs> They've not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the United thing, the whole thing about Manchester United is hated, adored, but never ignored. Mm. And their fate in the next 10 years, unfortunately, maybe that they are ignored. I think it's going to be a really interesting off-season this season. Um, I think it's going to be really, really interesting, actually. I think there's going to be a, some exciting stuff happen for, the, for most of the top six. Not us, I fear. Well, you never know. That's true, that's true. You never, ever know. Can we just get a little shout out for David Beckham absolutely tearing it up at Old Trafford again? He looked amazing. I reckon he could still do a job, you know. I mean, it was funny because everyone else was in slow motion. Beckham's never been that quick, but the passing, the combination play, he was putting the ball in like a dustbin from 70 yards. Yeah, he's still got it. He's unreal. He's still got it. Do we have anything else to cover? There was some stuff happened at the weekend, but it feels like it was so long ago. There are probably other podcasts who have covered that more. Did we mention Union Berlin coming up? No, but we should do. Union Berlin are going to the Bundesliga. They are for the first time time. ever. Berlin was wild. Let me just quickly say that, like, so for those who didn't watch it, it was wonderful. Two-leg relegation playoff, they call it here. So Stuttgart third and bottom in the Bundesliga and Union, I think, finished, finished third from top. They played two legs, two all in Stuttgart. Union did a great job. And then the game came back to Berlin, Kerpenick, which is out in the east. And Union got a nil-nil draw at home, went through away goals. And the fans went on the pitch and didn't leave till 5am. Was it 5am? 5am the party went on to Berlin style. Berlin. Peak Berlin. Monday night it. in Berlin. I love standard. it. I know exactly. Like, I'm surprised how, it wrapped, it wrapped how, at five. How the hell do they get home anyway? Standard. Hey, the U-Barns were, uh, the S-Barns were back on Berlin. Welcome back, Berlin. Welcome back. Berlin. I'm really excited. There's going to be a Berlin derby in the Bundesliga next season. There's going to be two. Hertha, I'm not looking forward to that. No, not at all. Can't wait, can't wait. Not at all. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Union's fan base will explode. Awesome. We've got to get Globally. some Union fans on. Yeah, definitely. On we the should podcast, do. Yeah. Um, shout out Valencia winning the Copa. Yes. Copa del Rey. Wow, big. We might have to uh, Valverde close may down the Berlin Valverde. branch of the Valverde. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think we may have to. <laughs> um, we're going to be back on Monday. Yeah. After the Champions League final. Indeed, we are. I'm staying very neutral. 
<laughs> yes, so am I. <laughs> um, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Oh, I stole your line. There we go. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Rabona podcast. Check it out. Hope you enjoy this one. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy the one, our Champions League final. It's going to be a joy. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, you can find us on all social media um, platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Rabona Mag. Thank you so much for getting in touch with us. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.